0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, Tiger fans. Uh, before we jump into the show, I wanted to give a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, we are recording on Tuesday night, June 2nd, uh, which is the eighth consecutive night of the entire country rioting over the death of George Floyd. Uh, the disclaimer is that we are not... Repeat, not going to talk about that on today's show. Uh, If you'd like to talk about that, there are plenty of outlets to do so, including on Rock M Nation proper. Uh, BK and I obviously have our own opinions on the matter, and and you can can follow us on Twitter or contact us however you please if you'd like to have some discussions on that specific matter. Uh, However, we believe that we are wholly unfit to make any commentary on it and want to provide an escape for, for you all. So this show, rightly or wrongly, will focus totally on Missouri football. Uh, we hope you enjoy it and that you all stay safe and be well. Welcome back, to Tiger fans, to Rocking Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK, Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score. We are in June, officially in June, so we got the rest of June, the rest of July, which SEC Media Days happens, possibly, and then oh, oh August football camp might be happening. BK, tell me it's actually going to happen.
0: I've told you now for, I think, two weeks, I believe it is. Um, I'm all in. <laughs> I fully anticipate. I have no reason to believe that the SEC is not going to have a football season. And they've said, what, now June, like, what is it, the 8th that kids are back on campus? So I'm, I'm fully anticipating we're going to see Mizzou having a football camp starting very soon
1: you just need to visualize and say it out loud over and over again and put those good feelings into the ether so that it actually happens now how this, how it works is still obviously up in the air but um we are inching closer and closer uh to something happening <laughs> whatever degree it is and, and and however that takes place and whether there's fans or not i don't really care um it is going to be there's going to be sports and that's a BK, that's a beautiful thing.
0: Did you see what Iowa State is doing this year? I have and, not. Inform and, and me. So I haven't read a ton about this, but I know like the the top line takeaways from it. Basically, they're selling thirty thousand tickets to their football games this fall. So okay. it's normally like a sixty to seventy thousand person stadium, mm-hmm. and they're essentially going to less than half of capacity. And what they're going to do is they'll have their 20,000 regular season ticket holders, and then they'll sell 10,000 tickets, individual tickets, over the course of the season. And maybe eventually they're able to add on to that, but that's the way that they're going to start things now. So I wonder if that latches on elsewhere, where we're going to see schools say, listen, if you're a season ticket holder, you're guaranteed a spot if you renew. Otherwise, we're going to have to see how many more tickets we can add on top of that allotment. And at a very minimum, it probably increases your season ticket threshold and then on top of that it allows you to continue selling individual season uh, tickets to games as well Hmm.
1: that'd be really curious I mean you know Iowa State versus Missouri versus an Ohio State or Florida it's I'm curious how many you know season ticket holders each school has and how they would roll a program out like that but I think that makes a lot of sense that rewards your loyal people gives them the first cut of the pie uh, and then kind of whatever else is left that you can feasibly support while practicing social distancing, dole it out. God, can you imagine the aftermarket for for those tickets if they're only selling thirty thousand? Oh my
0: God! Oh, it'd be crazy. It'd be crazy, especially if you're a team that's really good. Like imagine, um, for instance, Alabama if they have to end up going to like fifty percent capacity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all of those are going to be season ticket holders. Oh God, and yeah. so if any of them end up becoming available on the open market, let's say you get to the end of the year and Alabama and Auburn are playing for a chance to go to the SEC title, for instance, mm-hmm. which we've seen time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine what kind of dollar that's <sighs> going to go for. It It would be among the highest that we've seen for a regular season game, I would imagine. Easily,
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you put these things into place so that you can have an answer when the time comes around. So I'm glad that, that schools right. are, are taking the, the initiative on this. Obviously, they need as, you know, as much money as they can possibly generate uh, for all of their athletic programs for the fiscal year. So it's good to see that they are being proactive and rolling these out. Uh, I have not heard anything about Mizzou. I mean, have you heard any little birdies tripping in your ear about what Mizzou is going to do?
0: I haven't, man. Um, If I did, I would certainly be letting you know. I don't know what they're going to do. I would imagine that, like any other SEC school, they will take whatever they can get, right? If you Mm. tell Mizzou right now you can have 50% capacity for the season, they'll take it and they'll run with it. If you tell them that they have to be at 30, they'll try to get the most expensive tickets they can get for that 30% capacity. Whatever it is, they're going to make the most amount of money that they can off of it, and that's what they should do because this is college football, and it's... At the end of the day, as much as we don't like it, it is about the money. And that's why they're going to be playing this fall, and that's why they're going to try to get as many people into those stadiums as they possibly can.
1: I am curious how this is going to affect uh, bands, uh, cheer staff, cheer support staff, visiting fans. Um, I'm really curious as Mm -hmm. to how that's doled out. Do you have half a band? Do you have some of the cheerleaders in there? Do you you know, dole out 100 tickets for visitors like – That's another. I mean, it's not super important as far as getting the games played, but it is part of college football, and you know.
0: And what do you do with the students? What do you do with the students if students are on campus? Like, are are they even allowed to go to the games? You know, (sighs) I don't know because that's such a significant. It sounds so silly to even talk about, but it is like think about when you were in college. Like for for you, Nate, or for any of our listeners, if you went to Mizzou or if you went to a smaller school, think about how much how significant that part of your collegiate experience was like going to football games on Saturdays for me as a, as someone who went to Mizzou was a really big deal. My first two years on campus. And then eventually you end up covering the team and that's how I got into the work that I'm doing now. But the first two years on campus, it was a really big deal. My first year on campus was 2011, 2012 when it was the final Mizzou KU game mm-hmm. at Mizzou arena. Like that's one of my, the, the, the lasting memories that I will have of my time at Mizzou. So to think about the students that probably aren't going to be able to experience that this year, certainly at least not on the level that they otherwise would, it does kind of bum me out a little bit because that's a that's a big part of going to a school like Mizzou.
1: Absolutely. And, and on the flip side, my experience was a little bit different. I was in the band for five years, so I had got to see all the games uh, that the band was invited to and, and, and shuttle around, and go to Oklahoma State, go to Kansas State, go to all those places. Um, and that, you know, whether you like them or hate them is, you know, that's not relevant. The point is a college marching band is like super college football. You don't get that in any, Mm -hmm. uh, any sport, let alone professional sports. It is so wholly unique and creates a very different environment to not have that there and just have the PA system playing whatever, (laughs) who let the dogs out, right? Like it's, it's not the same feeling. And like, you think about, you think about, uh, Oregon. In particular, um, a stadium that's built to amplify crowd noise and create a home field advantage. Or Ohio State that just jam packs you know 100,000 people in there. What kind of home field advantage do you have if you're at half capacity? Now, maybe it's you don't have any visiting fans, so you feel completely isolated and it doesn't matter. But it's just going to be, this is not the year to go to a game. Not even just because of COVID, but just it's not going to be a normal experience. Um, so I'm really curious as to what the market's going to be, who's going to go, and, and who actually shows up.
0: Interesting, man. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating season for so many different reasons, both at Mizzou and nationally. Um, and, and you add all of this onto it. And I, I, I do think one thing that I would add about the, the band is like those guys, if they're going, guys and girls if they're going to be able to do, whether it be competitions or whatever else, if they're going to be practicing, they're going to be around each other every day, right? And so at a certain point, we have to have a little bit of common sense here. Mm -hmm. It This may sound crass, and I apologize if so, but if they're going to do it on the practice field, they can also do it in the stands, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can either do both or you can do neither. And so if... I I, be, I guess I'm just saying, like, if you're going to allow these kids to be able to be on campus and to do the practices, then you should also allow those kids to do what they're in the band to do, mm-hmm. which is to perform at the games. Yeah. So, again, I, I hope that doesn't sound crass, but I'm basically just suggesting, like, you you can either have both or you can have neither. And I I think they might end up doing both.
1: Could be. I, I'd be very curious to see what happens. Uh, getting into the, the recruiting side of Missouri football, we had some big news. Uh, we had a new recruitment uh, win. We had uh, Mr. Dalen Carnell uh, gave a verbal commitment to the Tigers yesterday, June 1st. He is a four-star defensive back out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Ben Davis High School, if that sounds familiar, and it probably doesn't, but it did to me, Uh, Ben Davis High School is where Pompey Coleman, an offensive lineman who is no longer with the team, I don't think, uh, he went to school. So there's a little Ben Davis-Indianapolis pipeline that we're building here, which is super cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, as far as the actual commitment, Dalen Carnell, four-star defensive back. He had a lot of excellent offers. He is Say it with me, one. Again, we've got our, our trend here, one corners. Uh, 185, definitely can grow into that. Uh, I watched his tape. It looks impressive as hell. I don't know what I'm looking at, but he looks super cool, super awesome, and I'm glad uh, we had the prestige of a four-star signing. BK, uh, how happy are you right now about this?
0: Super happy, man. I would also add that like this is is a really big deal because it's a position of need. And we've talked on this show about how important it is for Mizzou to get a little bit more talent at the cornerback position. And we'll see if he ends up at corner or at safety. There's some questions as to what he'll be in the future. I think they said that they're going to probably start him out at corner at the very least. Basically give him a chance to fail there and see what kind of goes from there. Seems like from everything that I've read, and I haven't watched a lot of his video yet, but from everything that I've read, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he gets away with it because he's a little bit more of a physical cornerback, which I'm fine with, Um, and we'll see if that can work. But even if he ends up at safety, this is a big get for Mizzou. Uh, How about a little bit of, I know you're a big-time recruiting guy when you look back on these sorts of things. Do you know the last four-star cornerback that Mizzou signed?
1: Uh, Darnell Terrell?
0: Indeed. Oh, my God. Do you God. know how long ago that, so that was? that would have been
1: 2005,
0: 2004. Oh, wait. I uh, There was one other. There was one other that's on this list.
1: Um,
0: But, yes, that that is the second to most recent one in 2005.
1: Let's see here. I'm trying to think. Four-star defensive backs. Um,
0: Jelani Williams was the most recent one, but he was a safety. Yeah. He was categorized specifically was as a, a safety, safety, so he doesn't count in this. <sighs>
1: I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of.
0: You probably wouldn't know this guy's name other than from recruiting, but Tristan Holt was the other one. Tristan Holt, a four-star <sighs> cornerback out of Gilmer, Texas. He was the number 24 corner in the country the year that he came out. Um, he was the most recent one. But, again, that was in 2010. In the last decade, Mizzou has had exactly zero cornerbacks of the four-star variety <laughs> signed to play at Mizzou. So, Daylon Cornell, come on down, bad boy. <laughs> we we are signing you up. We are very excited to have you on campus. Um, this is this is a big win. This is a huge win for Eli Drinkwitz on the recruiting trail. And I think we can now say unequivocally. Eli Drinkwitz is doing a damn good job on the recruiting trail. I don't think we need any qualifiers on it anymore. Um, I don't, I no longer have to question of whether or not it's just an in-state thing or guys that are just signing up to make sure that they hold their spot. I think we can now just say without question, Mizzou's doing a really good job. They're 35th right now based on um, the rivals recruiting rankings with just 10 total commitments so Mm -hmm. far. So, um, it's it's been a really impressive job by Drink, despite the fact that he's not even able to go on these campuses right now to talk to these high school players in person.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if you're keeping track at home, we will, we will do a scholarship uh, math update probably sometime next week. But, um, you know, right now, like you said, 10 commitments, five on the offense, five on defense, three of which are projected at corner. Dalen Carnell, Darius Jackson, Davian Sistrunk. Every single one of these gentlemen is over six foot. Every single one of them is over 180. Yeah, this is this is a position of need. Drinkwitz has identified it as a position of need, and he's getting it, baby. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can't hate the guy when he they has to also play have a
0: type, right? Like y- you can tell what they're looking for. Yeah. They're looking for guys that are long, and we've talked about this a little bit. But every guy that they add to this mix that ends up kind of hitting these thresholds. I think they want guys that are over six foot. They want guys that projects to probably be in that 200 to 215 pound range. They want big, physical, fast corners, and I'm with that. It, it, it It's a more difficult player to find because there are fewer guys that hit those thresholds that play the position. So you're just naturally limiting your pool of players that you can choose from. But if you hit on it, the ceiling is as high as you could possibly get for those types of players.
1: I can't, you know, when you look at your roster management, like I said, we'll go into this later next week, but it's tough to see him take four corners in a single class. That's putting a lot of eggs in one basket. But one other name to keep an eye on um, is Tyler Hibbler out of Trinity Catholic in St. Louis. He's six foot 183. Uh, three star, high three star, five point seven. Um, who I believe he has Missouri in his final three, five or three, I forget. But um, that's one other name in the secondary that you can look at. Uh, I don't know when he's going to commit or if he's going to pick the Tigers, but clearly we're hanging with him. Um, and that would be another guy who fits the mold and another loot to the zoo victory. So um, yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun.
0: I think so, too, and you just – I mean, you you look at a guy like that, and if you can get a 5.73 star from in-state that can play a position of need, you take him. Yeah. And and you just – you figure it out later, right? Sometimes we focus a little bit too much on the numbers at a specific position. We don't even know how many of these guys are going to land at corner Mm -hmm. over the long haul. Mm -hmm. Some of these guys might end up at safety. Some of them will end up as more of like a a money backer where they're kind of in that – corner safety nickel linebacker type of a role that we saw from um, Perkins last year Mm. like they they could end up all over the place you could even have some of these guys maybe end up at at a linebacker as a will or something so um, we'll see where it goes from here but you can never have too many good corners especially in college football the way that things are going right now
1: yeah yeah, and, and Missouri historically has not been bereft with a lot of secondary talent. So this is this is pretty
0: great. <laughs> As we'll talk about later. <laughs> As we will talk about
1: later. <laughs> this is pretty great to get him on board. So we've got the recruiting win of the week, which is awesome. Um, I have been doing opponent previews for the 2020 season. Now last show we talked about Central Arkansas, a team that is very feisty but should be beaten, especially at home, even with all the transition of a new staff and young players and not being able to practice a lot. After Central Arkansas, Missouri gets to welcome home Vanderbilt. Now, last we saw Vanderbilt, they were beating the Tigers 21-14 in the most astronomically stupid game I have seen in quite some time uh, back on October 19th, where a number 22-ranked Missouri Tigers just laid an egg in Nashville and basically lost their soul to the commodores and never recovered it for the rest of the season um so we are talking about the commodores since they are the next game up it is Derek mason is still the head coach bk can you guess Derek mason's record uh you can guess his percentage um at at vanderbilt
0: uh i would say he's an average of like Four and eight per year. So what would that be like? 30% let's go with. yeah.
1: That's pretty close. 36% is his winning percentage. He is 27 and 47 overall. 10 and 38 in the SEC. And he's been there six years. I'm not sure I can think of any job in the profession of coaching football where a 36% winning percentage over six years is keeps you employed but Vanderbilt's a little bit of a tough job in the toughest football conference in America so I get the longer leash but you kind of feel like he should probably win five or six games this year otherwise it's kind of tough to even defend even at Vanderbilt a guy who has not even won 30 games in six years
0: do you think Mizzou saved his job last year
1: I do I really do I do too. Yeah.
0: I I think if you lose that game, I don't know how they bring him back with his only wins coming against Northern Illinois and East Tennessee state. Yeah. If you go two and 10 and you lose every game in conference, I, I just, I don't know. I know Vanderbilt is a different job than every other job in the conference. And I get that, but I don't know how you bring that guy back. There's gotta be a better alternative. Um, I, listen, I, I respect the fact that they've had a little bit of a longer leash with him. That being said, I'm with you. I think this is the year that he has to be able to maybe even not make a bowl game, but at least get him to five wins, Right, win a couple of games in conference. Uh, that being said, I I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to be able to do so. I mean, last year on offense, they had... A hell of a running back, a hell of a wide receiver, and they had one of the most putrid offenses that you could watch in college football, mm-hmm. and this year, they're both gone. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know where the offensive firepower is going to be coming from. I, I don't know how we can expect anything of substance from this team on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think they could be okay on defense, but... On offense, I just don't expect much from from a squad that last year couldn't even muster anything out of an NFL quarter or an NFL running back and an NFL wide receiver.
1: Well, well, BK, you you can't you can't figure it out either. And 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 I think the Vanderbilt coaching staff is right there with you. Um they had four quarterbacks on the roster last year. All four are gone. So they brought in four new ones. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so you're sitting here saying, Okay, well, we need to win more games. And we really need to make sure our offense is better to complement a decent defense year in and year out. Well, starting completely over at quarterback is not the way to do that. It just isn't. Um, that you know, for me, you know, without knowing any of these kids or seeing them or being in the meetings, I mean, Jeremy Musa out of Hawaii is a senior. Um, he was at Hawaii. He's at San Bernardino Valley last year um, at the JUCO. I mean, he's got FBS experience, which is more than any of these other guys can say. They have a uh, Danny Clark, who's a three-star sign with Kentucky out of high school, went the JUCO route, signed with Vanderbilt. Uh, Jack Bowen is a walk-on who's never seen the field. And then Ken Seals is a three-star freshman kid, brand new to campus. Uh, you would hope Seals would win the job, but if you're looking to win games and save your job, you kind of go with the experience. You, with. <laughs> you can't go with yeah. Seals, unless he's just otherworldly. So um yeah
0: and the chances of that happening for a three-star just i mean it's slim didn't know when was the last time that we saw a three-star walk onto campus and immediately become a superstar it just it, it almost never happens
1: yeah you see it more in like the g5 um sure but certainly at the sec level no t- technically no um you know they got they got this key on brooks kid the running back Uh, He only has 56 carries to his name. Uh, At wide receiver, they do have Cam Johnson, who is legitimately good. He was probably their best receiver last year, Um, but he only had 316 yards to his name. So like you can see how bad uh, these guys were last year uh, and still beat Missouri. Um, But its it's offense needs to be completely retooled, and that's why they got rid um, of their old offensive coordinator, his name was uh, Jerry Godowski, I think is how you pronounce it. He left, and I think he was happy to leave. They replaced him with a guy named Todd Fitch, who was the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech last year. Actually, the past four years. Uh, now, Law Tech has been quietly good for the past five years. at Skip Holtz team down yep. in Ruston. Um, the offense has not really been the reason why. Even with Jamar Smith, who's an awesome quarterback, the offense was explosive and not efficient. And I think, you know, you with the guys that you have, you hope that you can scheme for explosive play. so that might be why uh, he hired Fitch, just to save his job. Uh, but uh, Eli Drinkwitz will be very familiar with their defense, according to Ted Roof, who's been around for freaking ever, but is still somehow only 56 years old. Um, but he has been a really good architect of the 3-4. He's had some great defenses. He's had some poor ones. Uh, but he's a veteran defensive presence who can see a 3-4 that, that Mason likes to use, understand the terminology, understand the tactics, work with Mason to implement, you know, a pretty decent defense, and they got some good returning pieces. So, I mean, this is another one of those situations where Vanderbilt's going to have to grind out, like, some 17-14 wins.
0: So let's talk about this for a second. Um, let's, let's look at Mizzou versus Vandy because – for whatever reason, this has been a difficult matchup for Mizzou over the years. Um, most of the time, it ends up being a slop fest, mm-hmm. which is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the way that you you would expect that Vanderbilt's going to want to try to play games this year as well. And that's specifically after their coach, Eric Mason. That's how he wants to win, right? He wants to have a, a low-scoring affair that he's got a shot in at the end. Um, this is a game Mizzou has to win next year to be able to show progress, in my opinion. Um, there's certain teams in the SEC that on a consistent basis, Mizzou should be better than. And Vanderbilt is one of those teams. Um, I If they're going to be showing signs of progress, this is the start of it. It's not the end of it, but this is the start of mm-hmm. it. You've got to have an Eli Drinkwitz offense that is able to outmaneuver a Derrick Mason defense on one day. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's 10 to seven. I don't <laughs> care if it's 13 to six. I don't care if it's a repeat of that UConn game oh, that God. we saw. What was that? Five years ago. It's now nine, six, oh. they just, they just have to win. Yeah. Get the W against Vanderbilt, leave the stadium and go home. That's all I care about in this game this year. I care about Jeez. nothing else because it's never pretty. It is no. always ugly. Yeah. And this is, this is the game that will show us whether or not Mizzou is showing signs of progress. It's week two. Mm-hmm. It's early in the season. Mm-hmm. they got to win that game. They have to find a way to do yeah. it.
1: So Vanderbilt opens with Mercer on the 5th, which FCS should be a win. That's why you schedule these games. Then they go to Missouri. Then they go to Kansas State right after that. So that's a very tricky spot for them. Uh, Before wrapping up their non-con, yeah, they wrap it up with Colorado State the next week uh, after K-State. So they've got two really big games right out the chute with two teams that are basically the same as far as SP Plus goes. Both are going to favor Missouri and Kansas State's defense. The offenses are neither as as explosive as they used to be, but um, that's going to be really tough for them Uh, with a new quarterback starting on the road in game two. I don't want to put any, you know, platitudes or pressure or anything like that. But I'm with you. This this is a game you got to win. You know, Pinkel lost his first matchup against Vanderbilt in 2012. He lost in 2015, and then Odom lost last year. Like, if you want mm-hmm. to put your stamp on the program and say, guys, it's different now. You beat the pants off the Vanderbilt Commodores. Like, you just you just do it. And even if it, like you said, even if it's 10, seven, get the win, say, we don't lose to Vanderbilt anymore and be able to say that for 365 days.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and the other thing is just like, think about it from a morale perspective, right? And we used to always talk about this with uh, Barry Odom, but it, it always felt like early in the season, the momentum of the season, for whatever reason, the, the, the wind would come out of the sails early mm-hmm. with a loss. That was just like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Wyoming. Um, and if you can just find a way to keep the momentum there, the recruiting momentum is obviously there mm-hmm. right now. We're watching that in real time. The I don't think you can win the offseason better than Eli Drinkwitz has thus far for Mizzou fans. Just get it another week. <laughs> because once we'll talk about this South Carolina game here in a minute, but that's that's always a swing game for Mizzou, then you've got Eastern Michigan. And that's not going to be any sort of gimme, but that's a game that they probably should win. So I, if you can go at least three and one in that first quadrant of games, I think that's going to be enough for a lot of Mizzou fans to say, okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where this goes from here, and maybe it ends up with four or five wins, and that's how they finish the season. But That's enough to at least bring some people into the tent. You've got to get off to a good start early. I think that's really important for Drake.
1: I agree. I agree. And especially, like you said, with the next game on tap right after that, it is South Carolina. It is Will Muschamp. It is basically the closest uh, mirror image that Missouri is going to find in the SEC with South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I talked about about it in the piece that dropped today. They are essentially, they are so eerily close. Historical winning percentage is about 4% difference. They're both viewed as outsiders to the SECs. South Carolina was a 90s edition. Obviously, we were a, a late, uh, or 2012 edition. Uh, they have similar recruiting rankings. Either we're both kind of in the mid to bottom tier. We're both from the city of Columbia. Like, it's just, <laughs> this is the program that you're not going to base your entire season off of. But this is the type of team that you need to beat consistently. And Missouri hasn't done it. And it's not even indicative of the quality of the team. That 2013 team, you know they lost 27-24, the doink game. 2015, maybe the worst team we've seen in the modern area, Beat South Carolina, right? 2018, they lost in the monsoon. Last year, 2019, they beat them by 20. Like, the quality of the Missouri team does not dictate whether we beat South Carolina or not. It is essentially a coin flip, which is why this is such an agonizing matchup year to year. And it's
0: always so weird. Like, why can't they just play a normal game once? (laughs) Why does it have to be one year it's a monsoon? One year... I. When was it? I think it was 2014 that Mizzou in the last like four minutes had those two touchdowns yep. to come back to win with Matty Mock. Yep. Um, there was the 2013 game that is better known as the Connor Schaub comeback. Like, none none of these are normal. 2015, <laughs> I could never play. 2015
1: we made Spurrier quit.
0: Like, he. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, <laughs> like. That was it. I, I, and that was the game that Drew Locke got his first career yep. start, if I'm not yep, mistaken. That's right. Like,. It's always weird. It's always something in these games. I think last year was the first, uh, the first game for their freshman quarterback, wasn't it? It was for Ryan Wilensky. That was his first start. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's one of those things, man. That they are, they are always weird games. And you're absolutely right. They are two very similar programs. This is the rivalry for Mizzou, the real rivalry yes. for Mizzou and the SEC. Yes, it is. Everybody can say that it's Arkansas. It's not. This series goes back and forth. It is this it is the game that basically decides how the season's going to go for these two programs in terms of like what the ceiling is for that year, more often than not. Um I, I do I think this is a super significant game on a year-in, year-out basis. Maybe less so this year for Mizzou. Um but I, maybe I'm wrong on that, because South Carolina's not exactly returning a great squad. Uh, they should probably be expected to be better than Mizzou coming into the season, but this is the type of upset you could get. As much as we just talked about, or I just talked about, Vandy being the must-win game that would show a little bit of a sign of progress, this would show a real sign of progress. For sure. If if Drink is able to find a way to beat South Carolina it, a solid program, um, I, I think that would be the first sign of, oh, yeah m- maybe drink is the real deal. Like m- maybe the recruiting stuff is real. The offense is real. Maybe he's just going to be a really good head coach, even better than you and I expect him to be. This would be the first sign of that. But it, it's going to be a tough game because it's so early on in the year and Will Muschamp teams are never easy to beat. No. um and it's, and it's a series that just it, weird stuff happens.
1: You know, playing against Will Muschamp is just so – frustrating because no matter how well he recruits, no matter how good, you know, his pieces are, he plays so conservatively that any team can hang with them. It's does he have a quarterback and does he have a reliable kicker? If he has that, then they either pull away at the end or win it at the last second. If he doesn't have that, they don't they don't do well. And last year they didn't do well because they had to juggle their quarterbacks. They lost Jake Bentley in the first game against North Carolina, broke his foot, ow. Uh, pushing Ryan Holinsky into into service. And they had a lot of senior weapons on that team. He just – he had his limitations. He was a top 70 recruit, but he was a freshman. And, you know, these guys can't do it all by themselves. Um, But really, I think the issue is that South Carolina is a lot better than what we probably give them credit for. you got to realize that South Carolina played five teams in the SP Plus Top 25, and they played another five teams in the SP Plus top 50. So 10 of their games were against quality teams, top 50 teams, and half of those were in the top 25. They had an FCS game, and they had a game against Vanderbilt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But everybody else was really freaking good. So they actually graded out pretty well, 47th overall for the year, because they just had to play Alabama, georgia florida texas a&m and clemson and appalachian NF state, state. <laughs> like, yeah. just no no one's gonna do well against that schedule and they beat georgia like, how <laughs> and what
0: was the upset of the season in the sec most likely yeah. they found a way to win at georgia in again south carolina only knows how to win we or play weird games mm. What was one of the strangest games I think I've ever seen with like 17, okay, that's an estimate, um, interceptions in that game. It was just so weird, man. So, uh, yeah, it, it's not a game that you should go in expecting Missouri to win. I I, I think that's unrealistic, especially that early in the season when Drink's probably still going to be feeling his team out a little mm. bit. But it, it's one of those games that could tell you a little bit. I, I think you can only learn good things in that game. Um, if you go into it and you find a way to get a win or you keep it really close, I think that could be a good sign for Mizzou um, unless they just get their ass beat. I I don't think that this is going to be a game where you find out anything super bad about
1: the season. You shouldn't. I mean, they they got a new offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. He used to be at Georgia. Uh, He was recently the head coach at Colorado State. Didn't work out. Uh, But Bobo really likes to establish the run, if you remember those Georgia teams under Mm -hmm. Mark Richt um they still have Travaris Robinson and of course most champ really does work the defense so those guys are still around you got Ryan Holinski who is back he'll be a sophomore for whatever that's worth um hopefully he can be a little bit more explosive in his pass plays because his passes didn't go anywhere he didn't get sacked a lot he threw the ball away a lot uh which made his numbers really really bad but he's not mobile um and he's got a sophomore and two freshman now blue chip freshman like a five-star quality freshman at a running back but still super young in the backfield um and then a slot guy and shy smith returning in the receiving core who was kind of like jonathan johnson in that if he caught the ball he was awesome but he always forgot to catch the ball first um so it's it can be another dink and dunk kind of offense with establishing the run and just quick passes um so i don't think the offense is going to blow you away But that defense returns almost their entire secondary and replaces a lot of their front seven. So this could be another kind of grind it out, run the game, classic SEC game, and you know Muschamp loves that, and he does pretty – last year aside, he does pretty well in one-possession games, so it could be stress-inducing. But like you said, you know, this is an established coach and an established team. If Missouri and Drinkwitz lose this one, it's not going to ruin the season because it hasn't ruined any other season before.
0: Yeah, it, the nice thing for Mizzou is they don't have Brian Edwards. Uh, it's going to be nice to not see him on the other side. Agreed. And Javon Kinlaw has gone. Yay! <laughs> Javon Kinlaw just ate offensive lines last year, so it's going to be nice to not have to deal with him on the other side of the uh, sidelines. That's going to be very nice to yeah. not see that man. Yeah.
1: So South Carolina opens up with two Carolinas, Coastal and East. Um, now, Coastal Carolina is relatively feisty. East Carolina has all of... It's James Madison's old staff, and they're actually putting something pretty pretty awesome together. But those two should be wins. So they get three home games, Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, and then they get Missouri. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, they should be ready. They should have figured out what they want to do. Uh, and spoiler alert, it's going to be play the pass really well, run the ball a lot, and keep the games close. So, whereas I think both BK and I are like, "Yeah, we should beat Vandy, this one is a coin flip, and I'm just going to say it'll be a close loss, and I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for in this one. Um, maybe that sounds like I'm selling Mizzou short, but listen, we, we don't know who Mizzou's quarterback's going to be next year, yeah. or if they're going to be able to play well. Yeah. Um, if, if we go into week three and we're feeling good about Mizzou's quarterback, that means they played well against Vandy. Um, at that point, I, I reserve the right to be wrong about this prediction to, to, and to completely flip-flop on that prediction. But as of today, knowing what we know, I, I would expect it to be a close loss. I think that sounds about right. Yeah,
1: I agree. I agree. Well, so we've we've talked about the actual recruiting. We've talked about the actual games. BK, you and I went on a journey. a a fictional journey. It's been a long one, too. (laughs) Yeah. Some might have called it awesome. Others might have called it stupid (laughs) and a waste of time. And, you know, everybody's right. Uh, But we did the thing where we decided to draft a fantasy team based 100% off of Missouri football players from the past 20 years. So, the year 2000 to the year 2000, well, 2020. Um. We are basically wrapping up the last round of the draft tomorrow, or today, since that's when the show drops. Uh, So you can read all about it there, but you're going to get a little preview here, um, and then we are going to make our arguments on Friday as to why we believe we drafted the excellent team that would beat the others, um, and then you all get to vote. So, um, going in order here, BK, uh, I'm going to go first, because... I said I get to go first. So, sure. um, in order, I have drafted Brad Smith, Sheldon Richardson, Denario Alexander, William Moore, Martin Rucker, Chase Kaufman, Shane Ray, Justin Smith, Doriel Beckham, Justin Britt, Carl Geddes, Arian Penton, Andrew Wilson, Tyler Llewellyn, Anthony Sherrills, Curtis Gregory, Charles Harris, Tony Temple, Adam Speaker, Coney Ely, Brock Christopher, and my last pick is – I'm not even kidding – my favorite Missouri football player of all time mad the guy, I just wrote the about. guy you just wrote about mad Max Copeland out of Billings Montana uh, that is my team it is about eight over eight thousand yards of passing. Over six, almost 7,000 yards on the ground, 9,000 reception yards, receiving yards. I just say reception yards. What is that? Receiving yards, <laughs> uh, to, over 2,200 tackles, 246 tackles for loss, 86 and a half sacks. And um, my boys are ready to come after you, man. So who did you end up drafting and who is your last draft pick?
0: So, I have to figure out my last draft pick. I, I have a right tackle. That's the last thing that I need. I've got to go through tonight to to make sure that I know exactly who I'm going okay, with. So, okay. I will reveal that uh, Wednesday morning. Sure. Um, but that being said, my team, I don't have them in numerical order in terms of when I drafted them, but I'll just go from quarterback down to the defensive side of things. Sure. Um, I've got Chase Daniel. That's a pretty good starting point. Yep. Henry Josie, Jeremy Macklin, Justin Gage, Emmanuel Hall, gotta have that speed, Michael Agnew because Nate decided to draft two tight ends when I wasn't anticipating him doing so. Mitch Morse, Tony Palmer, er- uh, Evan Baim, Connor McGovern, that finishes out my offense other than the right tackle mm-hmm. that I still need to add in. On the defensive side of things, I've got Alden Smith and Marcus Golden on the edge. I've got Zoe Williams and CJ Mosley inside. Mm-hmm. I've got a I've got a hell of a linebacking you core. Do. I've got Sean Weatherspoon, Kale Garrett, and Kentrell Brothers, and then in my secondary we've got E.J. Gaines, Kevin Rutland, David Overstreet, and Pig Brown, who I am very excited that I got on my squad. Mm-hmm. I really like my team. I will say this up front. I made one massive mistake in the draft. <laughs> one massive mistake. Yes, you did. <laughs> that I will never forgive myself for. I thought that for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, mm. I was convinced Justin Smith had finished his play at Mizzou in 1999. Mm-hmm. He played in 2000, of course. <laughs> and so Justin Smith ended up falling to like the sixth round. Yep. And We had people like, why did you guys let him fall that far? And I was in my back, back of my mind. I'm like, I didn't want to. I just forgot that he played in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one thing that I, I desperately wish that I hadn't made the mistake of. Um, A few other things that I do really love about my team. Obviously, the connection between Chase Daniel and Jeremy Macklin. Mm -hmm. That's as good as it gets. Um, I love my linebacking core. I really like my defensive end duo between Alden Smith and Marcus Golden. I think you've got guys that can do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest takeaways from this, and I'd be curious to get some of your thoughts from kind of going back and doing this exercise, Mizzou's secondary over the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean it's really hard to find the true standouts. I mean EJ Gaines is clearly up there. If you're going at corner, it's like EJ Gaines and Arion Pitton and then everybody else. Yeah. Um if you're going at safety, it's Pig Brown, Willie Moe, and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um there there were just there were so few obvious picks at that position. Whereas if you look at like defensive end, there's a million options. Mm-hmm. We there's still guys on the board that we didn't take. Did either of us take Michael neither Sam? Neither
1: one of us took Michael Sam. I was shocked.
0: Like, th- think about that. I mean, that, and it it made sense that neither of us took him. I mean, that's that's an all-American mm-hmm. that didn't get taken off of the board. So um, that that's kind of some of my some of my initial takeaways from this. What was your biggest takeaway from doing this? So
1: the biggest takeaway for me while doing this was the 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 quality of the offensive line. That that Missouri has had. I mean, you could really almost fill out a two deep based off of guys who have had experience in the NFL. Now, that's a low bar to clear. I understand that, but you know, between gosh, you know, Evan Bame, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, Justin Britt, Adam Speaker, Tyler Llewellyn, like that's there's a lot of guys who who played in the NFL at least a little bit, um, and Missouri doesn't really have that reputation. Of offensive linemen. We got the D-line zoo, we got the receivers and all that stuff, but I was very surprised by that. So, like, if we were to redo this, you know, knowing that we had a lot of depth on the lines um, and then at quarterback uh, and then receiver as well, like, you know, that switches up your priorities a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I think it's actually, it wasn't surprising to me just because the teams that I covered, like while I was at Mizzou covering them, that's when you're the most intimate, I guess you could say, with with the program, right? Um, I watched the development from 2011 up until that 2013-14 season when they had those incredible offensive lines of guys like Evan Baim and Mitch Morse and Connor McGovern, all those guys were front and center for me. And so the guys that I was the closest with were probably on that offensive line. So I watched it firsthand. and like that, I think that is something that gets lost a lot is if you look back at Mizzou's best offenses, a lot of it was because of the quarterback play, mm-hmm. obviously. You can't overlook that. But the second most important thing that they've had was that really solid offensive line in front of that quarterback. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not lose sight of that. And that's also why they've been so consistently great in the running game. I mean, when we were going back through this, I don't know if you saw this, but as I was kind of putting together my big board early on, I basically saw, I really want Henry (laughs) Josie because everybody else behind him is just kind of good. Like there's a lot of other good running backs, but Josie to me stood out above the rest of being kind of Mm -hmm. special um, meanwhile, Mizzou has consistently had a really good running game, despite just consistently having pretty solid running backs. So I, I think that's something that I noticed yeah. as well.
1: So th- when you when you put together your big board, what was your strategy? Did you have a strategy where you're just like, oh, let me just kind of list all the the best players I know of, and then kind of fill in the gaps, or what? W- what was your approach to it?
0: So. Th- I I'm not going to lie. I did kind of go back through because some of the early 2000s teams, you just forget in terms of like the, the really good players that didn't rise to the level of great. Right. Um, So I went back through right away and I was like, okay, let me look through the all big 12 teams from basically uh, 2000 to 2006 ish yeah. area. Right. Whenever I was a little bit younger, just to make sure that I'm not, I'm not missing any of these guys. So I put all of those guys onto a list um, and I wanted to kind of make a list of, like, here's guys that I would be comfortable drafting at certain positions. Um, so, like, my defensive line list is obviously super long. Um, Charles Harris is a guy that didn't end up going in this, I don't believe. That no, I got him. I got have very easily ended up going. You you, mm-hmm. you got him? So, like, that that's a guy that um, I had on my list right away that was probably, like, right towards the bottom of my defensive mm-hmm. ends. Uh, Jordan Elliott Ooh, was right at the bottom yeah. of my defensive yeah. tackles as a guy that I would have been comfortable with. Same thing with Harold Brantley, right at the bottom of my defensive tackles. Um, Therese Hall, linebacker, is actually surprisingly really good position mm-hmm. for Mizzou over the years um, with like just really quality players. So I, I went through and did that first. I knew the first thing that I wanted was Chase yep. Daniel, obviously. Yep. Um, And then from there, I wanted to make sure that I had that special passing game. So I really targeted pass catchers and specifically guys that I think can open up the defense to make things easier underneath. So that that was kind of my offensive philosophy. And then from there, I just I wanted to make sure I had some really good pass rushers, which I knew wasn't going to be difficult. And I prioritized having at least one of those two elite level corners. And I ended up getting EJ Mm gains there. Um, just because I knew that was going to be a really tough position to kind of filter through, if you don't get one of those two guys. Yeah.
1: So going into this, I well, we we agreed that BK was going to go first. I was like, he's going to pick Chase Daniel. So I knew that was, I knew <laughs> that immediately. So I was like, okay, what? Do I, well, who do I go with instead? And I knew you got Brad Smith, you got James Franklin, you got Drew Locke, and knowing that he was going to go with Chase Daniel, and knowing that there is there's a lot of good pass catchers for Missouri. There's not a lot of good secondary guys. My thought was, okay, in a theoretical game against Chase Daniel with a secondary that's probably not going to be keeping up, how do you stop that? Well, Missouri's got a plethora of defensive ends who can wreck shop. So I was like, you know what? I want to field a 3-4 and put them all on the field. (laughs) Have five or six guys coming at Chase Daniel from all over the place. Uh, so I wanted to get the most disruptive defensive line that I can possibly get. I didn't get my middle linebackers that I wanted because you took Sean Weatherspoon and Kentrell brothers. <laughs> jerk. Um, but I got Willie Moe and I got Anthony Sherrills because I knew I wanted some athleticism in the safety core. And then as far as
0: Willie Moe was yeah, one pick that really yeah. got me, I, I wanted him so bad to be able to. Play I know that's oh, it's
1: the dream pairing. Um, yeah. But okay. So I knew you were going to get, you know, Chase Daniels I was like, you know, Brad Smith is like, you know, if you put the the Mountain Rushmore, it's always argued how how much Brad Smith should be on there because he was the reason Missouri stayed on the map. He got Chase Daniel, got this whole thing going. So I wanted Brad Smith, but I didn't need him in a passing spread. I needed him in a running game. You know, I almost went triple option, to be frank. There's a lot of running backs you could go with, but I went pistol. And I knew if I was going pistol, I needed some blocking receivers. So I took the tallest ones I could get: Doriel Green Beckham, Denario Alexander, and then pair them with two tight ends, Martin Rucker and Chase Coffin, the best tight ends we've ever seen. So maybe we're not throwing the ball a lot, but with as dynamic an athlete as Brad, and then you know any of the the good running backs that we've had, you know you can you can throw the ball around. I'm like okay, any of these guys can out jump or out maneuver whatever whoever's covering them. Uh, and it's just kind of one of those dream scheme matchups that you just create in a lab. Uh, so it was really fun to put together a pistol offense here.
0: And that's why I went with the defensive line that mm-hmm. I went with. I don't know if you could tell, but CJ Mosley, Zoe Williams, like I needed the run stuffers yeah. up the yep. middle. Uh, Marcus Golden is a hell of an all-around mm-hmm. player at defensive end. Witherspoon, Garrett, brothers, all guys that can plug the middle and play the run. Pig Brown, good against mm-hmm. the run. Um, I loaded up on size and the ability to kind of defend that run on the defensive side of things as well. So um, you kind of geared your offense to be able to keep up with my offense, (laughs) and I built my defense to try to keep up with your offense. Otherwise, I would have probably done some things a little bit differently that way. So the
1: underlying strategy, and this is what I really wanted to do to see if I could do it. I don't think this would have been possible with more than two people. And I was mostly successful. Other than Denario, uh, Brad, and Mad Max, my entire team is from the state of Missouri. Interesting. Yeah. I wanted to see how many I could get and how many good ones we had. And when it came to a tie, because like I had Charles Harris versus Stryker Sulok. Um, I had What was my other one? I had a corner. I think Carl Geddes versus um, Kip Edwards. And I was like, well, tie goes to Missouri. So that, that's, that's how I picked my most of my team, honestly. I just found the best Missouri guys, put them at the top of the board.
0: And I've got a lot of Texas guys is what I've noticed. You do, yeah. By looking back through. Um, that that wasn't on purpose, but I think that tells you a lot about mm-hmm. where the talent is coming from, right? I think that tells you, like, the, these are the places. And it's not a surprise, right? If you've been watching Missouri football over the last 20 years, you know this kind of implicitly like by just watching the games. But it's interesting to see whenever you look at what is essentially – an all-star team, a first and second team of what Mizzou has had over the last two decades. Mm-hmm. The talent is coming from two places. It's from Missouri, from in-state, and it's from the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where they've had the most success, and it's really not even in question for the last two decades.
1: Absolutely. So we will we will post all of this uh, on Friday and make our cases for for our respective teams, and you all will have it ability to vote and see who would win in this theoretical fun matchup and really just celebrate the fact that we're done <laughs> because i think you all got super <laughs> bored uh, as we went through this but i will be i'll be honest it was a lot of fun for me i think it was a lot of fun for you and would do again but like 10 years from now
0: yeah i, I actually legitimately had a really good time with it it got a little bit tougher once we got to the end and you're mm-hmm. like you, you know once you, I mean, we've taken at this point 40 players, right? And so <laughs> yes. it's it's a little different when you're on yeah. players 41 through 44 at yeah. the very back end of our rosters. But I, I've had a really fu- really good time doing it. I, I've actually learned some things in a weird way about yeah. some of these guys of just kind of looking back through and seeing like, oh, damn, Tony Palmer was a hell of a player Heck yeah. Heck <laughs> back yeah. in the day. Like so, some of these guys, you just... You forget how good they were when they were at Mazoo because they're just not top of mind, and we're so. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Recruiting. Who's the next guy? What's the next coach? What's the skill? All these different things. And it it was fun for me to just kind of be able to look back and be like, God dang, Justin Gage was so much fun to watch. I was so
1: mad that you took him. I was like, oh, there's no way in hell he (laughs) takes Justin Gage. He was like eight years old when Justin Gage was playing. I could could kick him down. And then you come in. Well, God, it was like the uh, seventh round.
0: Yeah, it was early. You jerk. Oh,
1: my God. But that's okay because I took two tight ends and I was a mega jerk to you first so it's fine
0: it's yeah you fine. screwed me on multiple levels uh, <laughs> later on so it's uh it, it certainly came back at me
1: yeah now that's our show man how are you feeling overall
0: uh, about the the draft
1: just just life man tell me how you're <laughs> feeling about the draft the life the show like. You know, you you were on the radio the other day saying that you're coming up with all these great ideas that other people are, are stealing from you. Uh, do you have any special fun ideas in the pipeline <laughs> that you can share with our listener base?
0: So if you don't listen to the show, I would recommend you do so. Um, I am now hosting the Midday Show on 101 ESPN out in St. Louis. We are live from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time. Uh, speaking of which, if you're listening to this Wednesday morning, as you're making your morning commute or something, uh, coming up at 1130, we'll be talking to Mizzou basketball coach, Gonzo Martin. So yeah, set set an alarm. Uh, we're going to be talking to him to, I guess, at, as you're listening to this later today or (laughs) maybe earlier today and then check the podcast page. Um, but it's, it's been so much fun, dude. It's, it really is a dream come true to be able to do this, um, since I was, 15 ish Mm. years old. This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I have no real skills. I I am not a handyman. Um, (laughs) I, I went to school for journalism. That's like the only thing I'm trained to do. Like Mm. if I don't do this, I don't know what I would be doing. Um, so I, I didn't really have a backup plan and it's, it's worked out. Um, I'm having a blast. I love my co-hosts that I work with every day. We just, we basically try to be a distraction for people right now. And what's obviously a difficult time across america for a million different reasons but we're having fun man we're having a really good time and uh hopefully we're able to continue having a nice little mizzou presence we've had eli drinkwitz on the show we're having konzo on and um for i know people in st louis that's been a little bit of a frustration over the years is not being able Mm -hmm. to have a mizzou presence on the station and i hope that with me there uh we're gonna be able to bring that for you guys
1: absolutely that's It's nice to have that in there. And I'm glad you're able to be the guy who represents that. So good for you, man. That's awesome. All right. So that is our show for today. We appreciate you listening as always. Uh, Please, please download and subscribe. We love that as well. You can leave a comment. You can rate us because we love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter at Nate G. Edwards is moi, at BK Sports Talk is him. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time to try to do be better next time. And until then, I Z.